I'm encouraged to be in the house of God. I just want to finish where I left off two weeks ago when I spoke about a character that's not compatible with marriage. As we conclude the month of February, the month of love, it's exactly the 28th today. From next month, we are beginning a new series as we prepare ourselves for the Easter weekend, the Passover, as we call it in the Christian circle, and we begin to teach in another light. Amen. I trust that God has spoken to you and your family, and that you have learned something during this series of marriage and relationships as we conclude this morning. Babunkwena has laid a very high standard, has gave us acronyms of what a single person means, what it means to be a single. And, and acronyms are very helpful because they become declarations of what you want to become. All right? So a single person, he said, is somebody that's self-discovering, that is intentional, that is noble, that is generous, that is learning, but also it's entrepreneurial. I still remember, even though I'm not single, amen. <laughs> and the couple stands for what? Committed, organized, pursuing, learning, as well as emotionally intelligent. Isn't, isn't that awesome? I hope you learned a lot from that teaching. But I want us to continue. And as I begin, by the way, based on what he taught us, I want you to take the name of your partner or the name of your wife. Convert that name into an acronym. And begin to put things that you want him or her to represent in your life. Is that okay? Just, just take that name. Just don't, if it's an E, don't, talk, don't put entangled. Alright? Come up, come up with something positive. Don't talk about the situation you find yourself in. Talk about what you aspire him or her to become. Is that okay, somebody? <laughs> Glory be to God. Now, somebody say, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. Therefore, I care less this morning what the devil says, what my situation says. I am what the Bible says I am. And I'm ready for the word of God this morning. To experience the touch of the living God in every area of my life. In Jesus' mighty name. And somebody say amen. Give God the praise as you take your seat. Father, we thank you this morning for your word which is about to be spoken. Your word shall not return unto you void, but it shall accomplish every purpose for which it's sent. For your word is powerful. Your word is active. Your word is alive. For in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Thank you for your word this morning that it's about to change us and transform us forever and our lives will never be the same again. In Jesus mighty name, somebody say amen. Amen. The incompatible character traits for marriage, character traits that are not compatible for marriage. In other words, character traits that don't suit marriage. Things that you are possessing in your character that make you struggle with the institution of marriage or the institution of relationships. And this is not only about making you feel low, but it's to show you, it's like you're in a doctor's surgery 
to show you what are the things that are troubling you. What are the things that perhaps are within your character that makes it very difficult for you to live in a relationship, to participate in a relationship, to be in a happy marriage. Is somebody following this morning? Somebody say, I'm ready. Character traits that don't suit marriage. I want to encourage you this morning that if you have failed in a relationship or if you have a failed marriage, do not give up. It should never be the end of the road. You can always try again. You can always become a better person. God's word is coming to encourage you and remind you that God has never written you off and called you a failure. I said the other time that whenever we write a test in the examination of life, that God has laid in front of us. God does not render us to be failures. Or he does not write on our papers that we have failed. He always says re-exam. Try again. You're worth trying again. Tell your neighbor you're worth trying again. Perhaps you have chosen a wrong person. Perhaps you are not ready at that moment. Failure is a university. Attended by all successful people. Every successful person that you ever come across, whether in marriage or business, they have failed in some area. As a matter of fact, we cannot be pros in everything. There are certain things in life that we just don't get right. But I'm encouraging you this morning that you should know that God still wants you to try again. Don't give up yet. Don't lose hope yet. There's still someone suitable for you. And there's still someone for whom you are suitable. Somebody say, I hear God this morning. May I also say that marriage is the most attacked institution on earth. For two reasons. Number one, marriage was God's idea and it was his own making. In Malachi 2 verse 1, he says, it is the Lord's holy institution which he loves. It's there in your Bible. It is the Lord's holy institution which he loves. He loves marriage. It was his own idea. That's why marriage is the most attacked thing you can ever come across. Because it is not the devil's idea that a woman and a man can come together and become one. It was God's idea. Number two, it is the most attacked institution because it symbolizes the relationship between God and man. Or Christ and the church as you see in Ephesians Chapter 5 verse 32 where Paul says, I speak of a great mystery concerning Christ and the church. When I speak about a husband and a wife, I'm actually talking about Christ and the church. I'm actually talking about God and man. And therefore that which represents a, a symbol of what God is trying to do, Satan will always attack. And listen to me, your marriage is not the only one that has been attacked. Every marriage has been tested. As a matter of fact, there are about 14 storms that every marriage is likely to go through. 14, one, four. Every marriage, not some marriages. And depending on the amount of light we have, will determine whether we survive those storms or we don't. But every marriage is being tested and shall be tested. Is somebody with me? And lastly, I want you to know that all marriages are valid in the eyes of God. All marriages are marriages in front of God. All marriages are marriages in front of God. It doesn't matter whether when you married you knew God or you didn't know God. It doesn't matter whether whether when you married you heard the voice of God or you didn't hear the voice of God. 
It doesn't matter when, I, when, when you got married, you were born again or you were not born again. The fact that you stood and said, I am marrying you, God recognizes that as a marriage. Did you hear what I just said? It may not be the perfect will of God, but it is what we call the acceptable will of God. God accepts marriage. God believes in marriage. Whether you were playing behind the bus and then a baby came forth and you decided to marry her because of the baby, the fact that you have married her, it's a marriage. And God recognizes that as a marriage. And whatever God has joined, let no man put a son, even though you joined yourself. But because you came into marriage, God began to be part of it. Just like adultery and fornication. The reason why God hates adultery and fornication, one of the reasons is, even though God has not approved of the act, but God is involved in bringing a soul into a baby that's being formed. If it was not approved of God, but God has to come into the picture and approve of the baby that's being formed. Even though the baby came through a rape, or through any form of, of sexual immorality. But God has to be involved. Every one of us who is alive today. were approved by God. As a matter of fact we came because God has a purpose for us. It doesn't matter how we came. The fact is we have come. It doesn't matter how you married. The fact is you are married. And that's what counts before God. Tell your neighbor I'm following this. Most people prepare for weddings and not for their marriage. And Pastor Mkwena said that very well last week. That we prepare a lot for weddings and we forget to prepare for marriages. That's why we struggle in the institution. One young man was marrying the other day. As always, gentlemen are always dressed in black. Black tuxedo. And the woman is always dressed in white. And she's covered with a veil as she walks. And then one little girl asks, Mom, why is the girl dressed in white? And mom answered, it's because it's her happiest day of her life. And the girl says, wow, that's so cute. And says, Mom, why is the man dressed in black? And mom couldn't answer. Because to children, colors are opposites. If the white man is the happiest day of her life, it means the brother for him, all his freedoms, and all his looseness is over. It's time to be focused and disciplined. The time to be a boy is over. <laughs> so does that mean, mom, is he saddest day? <laughs> is somebody listening to me this morning? Marriage, therefore, is the most growing up act one can ever take, especially we men. Because the Bible says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. They shall become one flesh. A man, not a boy, shall leave his father and his mother and shall be joined to his wife who is, who's been waiting for him. Like I said before, women are raised ready for marriage. Marriage is not something strange for them. When they lose their surname, I mean, I don't know Mangobeni's maiden surname. I don't. I know her as Mangoben. And she's happily Mangoben for life. She's so happy she's settled. Women are ready to even change their surname. That's how ready they are for this institution. 
But for us, we stay with our parents. That's why we even keep our names. And it's difficult for boys to leave their mothers. And it becomes a problem for the marriage. Therefore, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, 11, as I recap, that, that, that when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I also thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Somebody say childish things. When we get married, we get rid of everything that represents the child in us. In order for us to be able to live well in marriages. If we drag in our childishness into our marriages, our marriages will be not successful. I wanted to notice something in that scripture before I go back to, to the main teaching. Is that he says, I put away childish things. There's a difference between childlike and childishness. He doesn't say, I put away my childlikeness. I put away my childishness. And the two concepts are not necessarily the same. Look at Matthew chapter 19 verse 14 when Jesus says, Suffer the children to come unto me and forbid them not. For such of, of such is the kingdom of God. 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 In other words, they that come with an attitude of a child will be able to enter the kingdom of God. And that's being childlike and not being childish. So, so there is a difference between childish and childlike. When Paul speaks about love, believes all. Love, hopes all. Love, endures all. That's an attitude of a child. A child believes everything you say to a child. A child child believes in the mother. And therefore, when you are in a marriage, you live, if you are childlike, you believe in your spouse. You trust your spouse. You walk with the hope that your spouse is living right and is doing the right things. You are not an investigator, a prosecutor, and a judge in your marriage. Because when you become like that, you are not childlike. You don't hope all. You don't believe all. You don't enjoy all. You are an investigator. Some of the things you have to trust the Lord. You can't be everywhere where your husband is. Neither can you be everywhere where your wife is. You got to trust the Lord. Is somebody hearing me? So what is the point of being childish and childlike? One is a form and the other is a nature. One is a form and the other is nature. When you are childish, that's your nature. When you are childlike, that is a form you take. You occupy for that particular point. To be a childlike, to be a child or to take the form of a child. In other words, there are certain things that you do assume in your character in order to be able to be relatable. Our children, sometimes they suffer. I mean, they struggle to relate to us because we don't have childlike elements within us. We are simply too serious. My dad is just too serious. I can't even crack a joke with him. He's too much a man. Sometimes we have to be childlike, even though we are not children. In order for them to come up to our level, we have to go down to their level in order for them to come up to our level. Sometimes your, your wife is trying to crack a joke. And when you're just too serious, mm, you're too much a man. There has to be a child within us. Did you know that my wife sometimes skitters as me just to make me laugh? 
Because you realize I'm too tense at times. And you know how much that irritates me, but I end up laughing. She gets the baby and the child out of me. To get me to laugh. Is somebody following this? So we get rid of childish things, but we never cease to be childlike. Is somebody following? As a husband, you've got to be the chief fan officer of your life, of your house. The CFO, the chief fan officer of your house. Play with the kids and the wife. Because your wife is also a kid. There is a kid within her. That's why you call her baby. And you can't be all serious with a baby all the time. You got to say, how oh, no, no. I mean, that's your wife. You got to play. You got to be playful. Don't be too serious and too tense. And only become untense when you want certain things. All the time you're too serious. Man, just so well. <laughs> Jesus talks about this when he talks about a form and a nature. He says, be wise as serpents. But be harmless as doves. In other words, take a form of a serpent when it comes to wisdom. But don't take the nature of a serpent. Don't, don't be a serpent in your nature. Just when they think you're going to bite because you're too clever. You say, no, I don't have the teeth. I don't have the teeth. I'm harmless. I was just too clever. I was just too wise. So you take a form. Jesus teaches us a lot about this as I teach this morning. The Bible says, being in the same level as God, he did not consider it robbery to be equal to God. But he decided to take a form of a man and a servant and came. So around us, Jesus was a servant and you would confuse him for a servant. But the Bible says he took a form even though he was not a servant. That's why Jesus confused a lot of people. They did not understand him. When they lacked wine, he changed water into wine, but at the same time, he drinks the same wine. So one moment he's God, the next moment he's also a man that can drink the same wine that he has made as God. One moment he walks on water, the next moment he's washing with the same water he was walking upon. So one moment he's God, the next moment he's man. Jesus confused them. They didn't understand. One moment he comes through a wall. That's only a God who can do that. The next thing he says, touch me here. That's a man. One moment he's a God. The next moment he is a man. And this is what the word is trying to teach us. That we need to learn to play different roles at different times. And be pliable. I can be childlike, yet I'm not childish. So one moment I'm playing with kids and I make them to win all the time. Even though I have won the game, but I lose the game deliberately so that the kids can always win and feel good. And the kids would say, wow, I like this. And they learn generosity out of me, even though I am not a child, but I decide to be a child at times. Therefore, when you look at the fruits of the Spirit, you also learn that these are things we need in marriages. The fruits of the Spirit is things that we display in our marriages. The Bible speaks about the Spirit of love. I mean, the fruit of the Spirit is love, it's joy, it is peace, it is long-suffering, it is kindness, it is goodness, it is faithfulness, it is gentleness, it is self-control. And against such, there is no law. Therefore, when you walk in marriage, you are walking in a spiritual world. You are actually exhibiting the character of Christ, whether you are born again or not. Loving your wife is Christ-like, even if you don't know Christ. Being patient with your wife is Christ-like. 
It's a fruit of the spirit even though you didn't even know Jesus. I've seen my uncle, the way he used to handle his wife for many years. I admired the way he loved his wife even though the man was not born again. I want to tell you something that there are people who are not born again who are better husbands than some of us in the house of the Lord. Better husbands, responsible husbands, but they are Muslim. They are not born again. They don't know Jesus, but they have found the answer. They have found the spirit of marriage, of being a good husband. So being in Christ does not guarantee that you have learned to live like Christ. As a matter of fact, most of the harshest people Somebody speaks about the fruits of the spirit. He says, you know, in marriage, we move from patience to endurance and from endurance to long suffering. <laughs> now, let me talk about the 10 because I have no time. The 10, the 10 character traits that I spoke about and I want you to mark yourself out of 10. It's an exam. I want you to mark yourself deliberately out of 10. Which areas do you need to improve on? You can always improve and become a better person. It is not to condemn you, but to expose issues that you need to be aware of. Therefore, check for yourself this morning. What are the areas that you can become better on? What are the areas where you are failing? And in the process, I also want you to rate your partner, right? Rate yourself on one hand and rate your partner on the other hand, right? Neminently, right? <laughs> now, let's recap. Number one, we said the first character trait that is not good for marriage is pride. We said pride. Somebody say pride. Pride is a marriage killer. Most people struggle with pride and therefore we need to learn to be humble. Hum humility in marriage is the only way to leave your marriage. As a matter of fact, Mangobs, I've learned that in marriage because of humility, we learn to apologize for things that we did not do and we also give forgiveness even if your partner did not say I'm sorry. You forgive her even if she didn't say I'm sorry. That's humility. You don't wait until they apologize. You, apolo you, you forgive them, even though they don't apologize. And I shared the other day that the possession of possessions and knowledge, as well as beauty and fitness, is one of the sources that makes us to be proud and makes us leave our partners. And I want you to learn this morning that you should never be humble because you lost your job. That's not humility. That's humiliation. There's a difference between humility and humiliation. You lost your job, now you, 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 you hear your wife. Now you, you hear your wife. All along your wife was nothing. That's humiliation. I've got to be humble to my, to my wife whether I have money or not. I've got to respect my wife whether I have knowledge or not. I've got to respect my wife whether I'm fit or not, whether the generator is still pumping well, I still love and respect my wife. I don't respect her because now all of a sudden certain things have switched off. That's not humility, that's humiliation. That's when life has put you in your place. And I don't want to be put in a place. I rather humble myself so that life does not humble me. Amen. I shared about 10 things that show that we are prideful. 10 things that are not on your screen. Refusal to say I'm sorry, that's a sign of pride. Having difficulty to forgive others, that's another sign of pride. Always being right, that's a sign of pride. Refusal to recognize and respect authority. Be weary of a partner who does not recognize your pastor. Even I'm showing you, know that you are in trouble. 
know that you are in trouble. A partner who does not recognize authority is a problem. Can't beg, can't even ask for help when you're in pain. Refusal to be influenced by your spouse. Especially us men, we always refuse to be influenced by our wives. Even though you see you have passed the road and you are wrong, you say, I know, Kiona. And then you continue driving until you reach a dead end and you make a U-turn. And the wife does like she doesn't see you. In her heart, she says, I told you, I told you. We don't want to be influenced by our partners. It's pride. Everything is personal. Everything is offensive. And you have a high sense of self-importance and can't see good in others. Those are signs of pride. Number two, we spoke about selfishness. That in marriage, you need to learn not to be selfish. If you are selfish, you won't survive in marriage. It's having a self-serving character, being self-centered. Everything is about me, me, me. She didn't do me right. He didn't do me right. It's about me, 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 me. Have you ever done her right? When all it's, it's about your happiness. I'm not finding happiness in that marriage. I'm not finding satisfaction. It's about you. Have you ever given her satisfaction? It's always about me, 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 me. You need to learn to be last and not be first in order to survive marriage. You need to be willing to serve and not to be served. You need to be willing to give and not to get. When you have that kind of an attitude, you will survive marriage. Talking about selfishness. There was a man who came to his pastor to complain that my wife is accusing me of pulling the duvet covers all the night. She, pastor, she's... By the way, there are those of us, right? You know yourself, right? You are here. You need deliverance. Selfishness in your sleep. But I, I want to say that's not a selfish disorder. I guess it's a sleeping disorder. <laughs> so when you have that person, you rather have your own duvet. <laughs> because <laughs> Okay, there are those ones who pull the whole duvet in bed. The second one, they push you out of the bed, bro. Like, <laughs> they fill up the whole bed. <laughs> Glory be to God. They, they sleep across. Uh, these things you will see them in future. <laughs> Number three, and, and the thing is, you never know until she's there. You don't know how much she snores. By the way, that's another one. Some of us, we snore like roaring lions until the whole sleep is gone. And all these are sleeping disorders that we are not in charge of. So I cannot accredit this to selfishness. I guess they are in another realm. They are not necessarily selfishness. Number three, we said you need to be a team member. If you are not a team member, you won't survive marriage. Marriage requires that we work as a team. We walk and live as a team. The Bible says that two shall become one. One team, one vision, one captain. Genesis 2.24. Marriage is about interdependence. I depend on my wife and she depends on me. If I don't need her, I can never be married and I will not enjoy marriage. And also it speaks about rising and falling together. When we win, we win together. When we fall, there is this tendency of parents and married people that's when the child is bad, do I have a witness in the house? When the child is bad, yeah. 
And then when the child is done, well, um, danami. And that's done by women usually. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, ladies. Hallelujah. Also, men do the same thing. So we got to change our language. If we win, it's all of us who have won. If we lose, it's all of us who have lost. And it's not his fault or her fault. We work as a team. Number four, unforgiving spirit. If you struggle with unforgiveness, you might as well struggle with marriage because marriage is a place of forgiveness. It's two forgivers that have come together. And unforgiveness, I said the other day, is second to pride. If you are full of pride, you will be, you likely to be an unforgiver type of a person. Offense is always inevitable in marriages and in relationships. Living with other people, you must know that you will have offense. Therefore, you need to learn to forgive all the time. Beware of the following, that unforgiveness is infectious. And I want to teach this quickly. Unforgiveness is, is contagious. I want you to catch this, Bishop. Let's say my wife has wronged me. And then she asks for forgiveness. And I don't forgive her. She asks for forgiveness. And I don't forgive her. You know what it does? It begins to move over to her. She switches off. And when she switches off, she switches off even worse than me. Because I've held back the grace that I was supposed to give. Unforgiveness can be contagious. I've seen couples that one man was offended by the wife. And, and, and the wife asks for forgiveness. And the man refuses to, to forgive until the couple takes the unforgiveness. And they make, listen to me, there's something about women. You give her a seed, she multiplies it. You give her hatred, it comes back, multiply. You give her a little seed in the form of a spam, it comes back as a baby. It, it is, don't, if you want her to love, you just give her love. Little love, you see a whole lot of love coming back. If, if you hate her, you, brother, you see hatred coming back. So there was this guy who the wife apologized and said, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And the guy just kept quiet, never talked back, never su- do anything. He he kept on just texting her. Everything he wants, he texts. I want my food. I'm going to bed. Good night. Even in bed, you say good night, cut text. So one evening, the guy has to catch a flight. And he says, honey, he he does this, cut text. So the wife, because she has apologized and spoken until she can't speak anymore, she joins him. Honey, Please wake me up at 5 a.m. I have to catch a flight at half past six. Cut text. And then she answers, sharp honey. So come five o'clock, she goes to her phone. Honey, please wake up. It's time to get ready for your flight. Utasukuma lesu sulavaka. And the guy was late for his flight. And he wakes up, honey, why did you wake me up? Say, honey, I did. Check your phone. I did say wake up. Life will teach us to talk and to be humble. Number five, if you are secretive, marriage is not for you. You better get rid of your secrets. There are some husbands that go and borrow monies without their wives being aware. And the next thing you see a sheriff at the door. And the wife knows nothing about the loan. And things are about to be repossessed. This is not how we lead marriages. We got to learn to open up if we are in trouble, if we have challenges, rather share the challenges with our wives or with our spouses. Never keep deep secrets and big secrets in your marriage because this is not how God has designed a marriage. Marriage is for the naked 
Secrets and marriage don't mix well. Naked and not ashamed, the Bible says in Genesis 2.25. They were naked and not ashamed. Number six, we spoke about laziness. That laziness is not for marriage either. Marriage is work. You've got to work out your marriage like you're working out a garden. It takes the shape that we work. Our marriage will always follow the shape that we give it. Our marriage relies on, it's like a garden. If I don't mow my garden, my garden will grow anyhow the way it feels like. So is our marriage. We got to be intentional with our marriage. We got to set time aside to build our marriages. We got to make sure that we have intentions to go on holiday, be alone with our children, I mean away from our children and work on our marriages. Marriage is work. Somebody say marriage is work. Don't let your marriage move into what I call autopilot zone. Where it, it just, we're just married. No honeymoon, no going out, no date night out. There's nothing. We're just raising kids. We're on autopilot. Some of us survive autopilot marriages, but autopilot marriages, you will land anywhere. Even the ocean is correct. Because you didn't tell the plane where it should land. So you've got to be intentional. Have once a week meeting with your wife. Check, how are we doing as a family? Be like CEO and, and, and CFO meeting in a meeting. How are we doing? Which are the things we need to improve on? Are we doing well in our communication? What are the things that you're not doing me right and I'm not doing you right? Always be intentional with your marriage and don't let it run on its own. Number seven, we said it's a loose tongue. You must always open your mouth with wisdom in marriage. Don't just speak anyhow. In marriage, we eat our words half the time. We think, but we don't say. That's why you have a strong skull on top of your head. So that the things that you're thinking are not expressed through your mouth until they've been processed. Gender-based violence can be defined in the following manner. That women are not physically strong, but they are verbally strong. And in most cases, most of the gender-based violence cases, I didn't say all, I say most, they are sparked from arguments. I have learned that you can out, not out-argue a woman. These people were born speaking. <laughs> they know every word. They may not know not English, but they know how to argue. They know how to put their case until you... You can't win anything, Ruth. Forget it. So in cases where a man is outspoken and a man... You know, when, when he hits you, he's actually saying words but that, that he couldn't say. So this is his way of expressing his words. And when you're still talking. And unfortunately, the court cannot see the words that were spoken before the feast. The courts only recognize the bruise on your face. And I'm not promoting gender-based violence. All men, we should learn how to run away from fires. When you feel that the kitchen is too hot, walk away, brother. You just walk away. You just walk away, brother. Walk away as if you don't hear anything. Because you realize that things are about to get out of order. Just ignore and walk away. Because you know you can't win that battle. And you will end up in jail and she's outside. But she was part of the whole thing at the beginning. Stay away from that. Can I get into the teaching of today? Can you believe I have not started? So recap, it's pride, it's selfishness, it's not a team member, it's unforgiving, it's secretive, it's lazy, it's a loose tongue. So what is number eight? Non-committal. 
non-committal. Non-committal character. Indecisive character. This is new. I have not taught it, so let me teach this morning. Indecisive and non-committal character. Marriage is a matter of decision. Marriage is a commitment. It is a choice that cancels other choices. The reason why you are still not married as a man is because you are indecisive. You don't know what you want. You want slim, you want big, you want tall, you want short. You don't know what you want. When you see this, you want to grab and you say it's not the one. You, you, see, you grab this, you, you want outspoken women, emotion, I mean intellectually intelligent and very smart. The next thing she outsmarts you, you feel inferior and then you walk away. Let me try a cleaner. Maybe a cleaner is a good person for me. You don't know what you really want. And this is the reason why you are not able to commit in relationships because you still don't know what you want. And ladies, I want to warn you this morning. <coughs> Be aware of what I call boys and their toys. Boys and their toys. And this is one of the things I speak about when I talk about childishness. That be aware of boys and their toys. Sometimes the same nature we brought, we came along with as boys. We, we used to have cars. I, I had toys and most of the toys I made them myself. We could make big cars and small cars. You had that car and that car. They said car for a rainy day and the car for a sunny day. Even as a boy, you had little toys that you play for a certain mode. You had these toys. And this character grows with us. It changes from one level of toys to another level of toys. You see that also with our cars. That even though I have a house, I still want to have a toy. I want to have the fast one. I want to have a family one. I want to have one for the mountains. And I want to have one for the rainy days. Is somebody following me? Of course, that's when money allows you, right? That's why polygamy shows up when there is money. You see the same thing with cars. You see the more money I have, the more cars I can have. I want the fast one. You see, when I want to go to Nelspreet in two hours, this one will take me fast. But when I want to go to the mountain, this one will take me to the mountain. But I also have a family car. That's the wife of the house, right? A family car. That's a family car. That carries everyone. Carries everyone. Now, as a lady, you come into the space of this guy and you're not aware that he's still in the toys zone of his life. There is the family one. There is the mountains one. There is the one for rainy days. Even though Sophie is not for family, she's for rainy days. Be aware what toy are you in the picture? Where now you are not in the business of toys. You are a woman. You want a family. Yeah, now he's in the business of toys. And you are one of his choices. That's why he shows up when he needs you. That's why the entire week he doesn't speak to you. And you wonder where is the guy. It's because it's not rainy until it starts raining. And then you are needed. You are called upon. The four by four is called upon. When he needs speed, he looks for the little Z4 sports car of his. He's going to a meeting somewhere and it's the show of his trophy that he walks around with. And when as a girl, you have a family in mind. And that's why most girls' hearts are broken because they're dealing with non-committal men. In their own world, you are one of the choices. You are not the family type. 
Kuna li family type erolang everyone. Oh utlo munyala when a sports car. And I'm not saying a woman is a car. I'm not saying I'm talking about the mentality of a man that you need to be aware of when you come in. You must always ask some nangiini kule. Is somebody hearing me? Marriage is not for the undecided. It is for the decided. If you are non-committal, don't engage in relationships. You will hurt so many lives. James 1 verse 8 says, A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Can I explain that a little bit? You can tell if a person is stable by the kind of relationships he keeps and also by the type of numbers he keeps. Be aware of men that change numbers every week. I repeat, it's not a guaranteed science what I just shared, but it could be an indicator of a character that's not stable. No more how he should every month. Liwena is a girl, you don't know now what's his number. You, you, he, you have to wait for him to send you his new number. You phone this number, the number you have dialed is not available. Please try again later. Next month, the number has been deleted. It's got to tell you something is not okay here. Why do no more how do you change every month? He changes churches every week or every month or every year. He changes pastors. He changes jobs. He cuts jobs. Now and again, he's in this job. The next time he's in that job, unstable in all his ways. He's not committal. He's not a kind of guy that sticks in one place and endure whatever storms come in one place. Please know that this character trait might cut across all his fears of life, including his relationship life. It's not only his work life. It's not only his church life. It's not only his financial life where he's with Standard Bank. Next month he's with FNB. The next thing he's back in Capitec. No, Capitec. We are back to FNB. You must know that you will also be one of his mixes. Become concerned about this kind of a character. Genesis 49 verse 4 talks about unstable as water. You shall not excel. Reuben, you are unstable as water. Therefore, you shall not excel. This year, you're studying engineering. Next year, you want theology. You leave theology. You go back to psychology. Same will apply in relationships. So, therefore, you've got to be aware. And one of the things about women is that women's greatest need is security. A woman's greatest need is security. More than affection. Security. Somebody say security. She wants assurance. She wants direction. That's why most women, Papa, will ask you. So, trust me, you will get that question from a woman. Because a woman wants direction. My wife always asks me, see, what time? And I always say, I don't know. <laughs> she, she always says, I want a plan. Women is about assurance, it's about direction, it's about confidence, it's about stability. You know what? She doesn't mind to live in a shack as long as she knows that shack is hers. As long as she knows when she comes back to that shack, her bed will still be there. That's stability for her. Not today, what? I'm cuckoo movie, I'm cuckoo camo, I'll sell it thing. 
a woman wants assurance and, and secondly, she wants exclusivity. 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 Even, I've heard and as I listen to radio stations, even Nyatis, they want to know that they are the second one and the only second one. Like, like, like you can't say Kisako Mungwe. Even though she is a second one, she is a, but she still wants exclusive. That I'm the only side one. It's amazing how this world operates. <laughs> he's mine alone. Okay, if he's not mine alone, I, at least I want to know how many are we. So that I know Uriki Mokai. Number five or number seven. But at least I must have an idea. And this is what is the most challenging thing to men. A.R. Bernard, one of my favorite teachers, he says, men struggle with four things and women want those four things. Maturity, decisiveness, consistency, and strength. And unfortunately, men struggle with these things. We can't give them to our women. Did you know that the day you stand in front of an altar to make commitments before the Lord and men, the order of your vows were in this order. Firstly, your, your vows are vertical, and secondly, your vows are horizontal. And I want you to learn this this morning. I almost called you immediately, but I'll, I'll, I'll hold you for today. Can I call you my daughter? Come. Yes. Beautiful girl. Look at the dress. It's like you knew today is your day. I need an appropriate young man. Uh, do, do I have a, a gentleman with a, with a, yeah, Fila, Fila, come, come over. San, 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 san. I wanted to learn. You stand and look at the priest. You're acting like you're in a wording. I want you to notice something that when you make your vows, the vows are always first vertical before they are horizontal. It's a cross of vows. And they go like this. Before God and these witnesses, do you, Mzala, take Malume to be your wife? Do you stand to submit? I mean, no, no I'm reading the wrong, the wrong version. I'm, I must read the groom's one. What, what's your name? Let me rather use your name. You're playing, right? It's a play, okay? Even though I'm using... What's your name? Orati. Ora. Ora, yes. Right. Before God... You hear that part? Before God Almighty and these witnesses, do you, Amu, take Ora to be your wife? Do you vow this day that you will stand to love and to comfort her, to honor and to keep her in joy and blah, 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 until... Jesus Christ comes back. And at the end it says, you say what? You say what? I do. Have you noticed that you're not looking at her, you're looking at the priest? Have you noticed that those words you are not saying to her, you are saying to the priest? You are saying to actually God. Because it says before God. And the priest represents God. And the same words she's going to say. Only after that, you, she then begins to say, I, so and so, do take you that you then face each other, right? You then face each other. And then he says, I, so and so, do take you to be my wife. But you only have the right to speak to her after you have spoken to God and committed to God. Go take your seats. Thank you so much. 
Why did I bring that up? I want you to know that in a marriage, even if your man becomes robust and bad and uncommitted and unfaithful, you don't have to become robust, bad and unfaithful like him. He is violating his vows before the Lord and your, his vows to you. You will keep your vows to the Lord. You rather walk out, but you don't walk out an unfaithful wife. You walk out, but you don't walk out an unfaithful man. Even though your partner was unfaithful to you. Because you have vows that you have made before the Lord. And most people don't understand. Marriage is about commitment. But all, not only commitment to those that we get into marriage with. But also commitment to God. He says, I am a witness between you and your wife that you took. The wife of your youth that's in Malachi. He says, I'm a witness to that vow. I'm a witness to that covenant. So in your marriage, please understand that God is involved. And commitment is not negotiable. You walk in knowledge that God is watching my commitment. Marriage is about commitment. Somebody say commitment. A.R. Bernard speaks again and I love this man. He speaks about the five stages of a relationship. He says before you move into intimacy. First is introduction. And then secondly is acquaintance. In other words you introduce yourself to me. But then I have to get to know you. And know you better. And then from there we begin to become friends. And then when we are friends. So the third one is friendship. And then number four is fellowship. After we have become friends. We begin to fellowship. We begin to spend time with one another. We begin to go places. We begin even to see our parents and our relatives. Together we fellowship. But after that he did not include this part. I included it. It's a covenant. Somebody say covenant. Before intimacy, it's a covenant. That before I can access your body, may I make a commitment to the Lord. Most women are heartbroken because they give their body to a man who has not had a covenant with them. And only to find that you were just number five. And when you are giving your all, after I gave him my everything. Who said you must give you everything? Who said so? After he gave him everything. When he, I was saying, I see, look, you are not supposed to give anything. Until there's a covenant in place. Because a covenant is supposed to protect you. And after that, you can have intimacy. But not only that, I added something else. The sharing of estates. I mean, you saw the gentleman who got the TLB Society of South Africa. <laughs> Bishop, from the Association of TLBs and Caterpillars, the brothers are looking for what belongs to them. Because you realize that, that people go into intimacy as well as sharing of property and estates without a covenant in place. It's a covenant and only a covenant will protect you. Pastor Mgwena said it very well that a covenant will protect you after your husband has died. Because the relatives, don't you ever think relatives love you? Yeah. Especially the brothers. Yeah. And all of a sudden you are a nobody because there was no covenant in place. One recognized by God and one recognized by government. And you got to protect yourself. 
Uncommitted people are a cause of heartbreaks in relationships. You must never move into a relationship without commitment. Especially when you go deeper with your money and your body. Those two. There must be a covenant. There's no doubt about it. If ever, and God forbid, if God takes me, everything I have belongs to my wife. And I don't even have a problem with that. Her and her children. It's hers. There's nothing like, no, it's not so great, half food, the other half, mama. She must decide who she gives. Not like another half must go to my brothers. After all, it's ours, not mine. So it's not even up to me to decide. Covenant is important. Marriage is about commitment. Personally, I have a problem with accru- without accrual contract marriages. Without accrual contract marriages. I said personal. I didn't say it's wrong. I didn't say scripture. I said personal. I have a problem where a woman has to take day offs. Nine months, she's sick, she's carrying your babies, she's carrying everything. And then when you are parting as husband and wife, she walks with nothing. Yet she was cleaning your mess. She was taking a lot of stress out of you every day. And massaging you and giving you all sorts of comfort. And all of a sudden, she walks away with nothing because you say, I find it very unfair. If I had my way, she must have everything. She is a queen of our lives. She is a queen of my life. If I have to start all over, let me start all over from scratch. If I have bought my wife a car, if we were to divorce and God forbids, everything is hers. There's nothing. I mean, what kind of a heart is that? You showing us that you don't have a heart of God. You make your woman walk on foot because you have fought. That's not a heart of God. You don't show a heart of Jesus. The reason why some of us are blessed is because we, we love the heart of Jesus. And when you have that kind of a heart, Jesus will give you everything. He will bless you beyond your dreams. Ooh, I'm out of time. <laughs> time. I have literally no time. So I'll try 10 minutes and I'm done. Number nine. How are you doing so far? Are you, are you faring well? Number nine. Non-communicative. You are non-communicative. You hate to talk. You don't like communicating. But you love relationships. Listen to me. It won't work. Relationships and communication, they go together. Marriage and communication, they go together. If you are non-communicative in your character, please know that you might just have issues in your marriage. What you thought you meant, it is not what she heard because you are not communicating enough. She will think you said big and when you meant that. Because you don't communicate. Marriage is about communication. In marriage, we talk things over. In marriage, we explain ourselves. In marriage, we clarify things. In marriage, we communicate our intentions, our fears, our deep emotions, and our needs. Even the things that we want deeply, we have to communicate. And the wife will say, I didn't know you wanted. Because you didn't talk. Yeah, at least I left it there. I didn't say anything. <laughs> oh, but you didn't see I was in the mood 
kids yanga di mutsa haona why don't you bulela aumbolanga ngibengithi kancane hawo angazi be ukhuluma ngani mena wendlambi ya dancer you got to communicate god gave you a mouth to talk say what you want girl and how you want and how much you want you must speak don't say but i gave you a clue even after 21 years you still talking about clues but i gave you a clue nyana i want pona dr cole spoke, speaks about the three pillars of marriage he says sex communication and money are the most important pillars of a marriage sex communication and money so i want to show you that as much important as sex may be so is communication so is money as much as important money is and so is communication it's like when you don't have communication the three-footed pot will not stand you got to communicate you also need to understand that three types of communications verbal versus non-verbal sometimes our non-verbal communication speaks louder than our communication you say i love you but i can tell you didn't mean what you say i can tell from your body you're done you don't mean it you just mean it because you just want something but you don't really love me your body don't say what you say non-verbal communication you also need to understand the power of spoken and written communication when we uh, counsel couples we do teach them that when you are angry stay away from written communication memories must good memories must be written on stones but bad, bad memories must always be written on sand never write your bad issues and bad stuff when you're angry yeah you're not a man enough you're saying all of this because you're angry and you're writing it and remember what's written can always be retrieved so know what to write and what to say with words learn how to use spoken communication and how to use written communication it's very important when you are angry, the tank has been stirred. All the dirt at the bottom of your heart is right on the surface. So when you begin to speak, first thing that comes out is dirt. You must know that at the bottom of every heart, there is a bit of dirt. And that dirt can only be stirred by anger or alcohol. You'll be amazed at things that people say when they're drunk. They reach out to the files that normally they would not reach to. Even asking one how 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 Sophie, asking one oh, what did I say? I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean that. No, I was actually. Uh, it's a story that's playing in my head. It's not a story, Sophie. You just pulled a file that was hiding in your heart, but because alcohol is now speaking, even the truths are coming out. You got to know the power of nurturing versus functional communication. Most couples are stuck on functional communication and they don't do nurturing. What is nurturing communication? When we are not yet married, like I can tell with Minently, I know very well, whoever she's dating right now is sending her texts like this, I love you so much. You're the best thing that ever happened to me. You know, when I think about you, certain things begin to move. I can't wait for our marriage. I look forward you are the best thing. That's nurturing. You know how Minantle feels after that? She feels like I can get hold of this guy. But I'm going to wait Lord because I fear you. 
but I feel good about myself. Hey, Menentle. But after you got married, Menentle, Ubalandi, Labantuan, Asambe, Sambanin, Sambaskati, that's functional. It's no more natural. And once in a while, I love you, but in six months. But before you got married, he used to say, I love you every moment. Nurturing versus functional communication. And couples have missed it. When they are married, they forget everything about nurturing. And they forget that the functionality of our marriage relies on our nurturing. When I feel good, I will function better. I'll be able to do the things you want me to do because I feel good and you say good words to me. You must not forget the power of functional. Talking about spoken and written uh, communication, the WhatsApp brigade, WhatsApp status brigades. It is the most stupid way of communicating a message to your husband or your partner through a WhatsApp status. You are funny. You hope he reads it. Didn't you read my status the other day? How status is if status When you have anything to tell anyone, tell them. Don't put it in a WhatsApp status for them to find how you feel. And you think they will read your statuses. We read and we wonder what she's talking about. And the intended audience does not pick up the message. And you get frustrated because you were hoping that he gets the story. And he doesn't get the story. Send it directly to him. To his number. Stop hoping that people have read your statuses. And finally, number 10. Disrespectful. I want this one. I need an entire Sunday. Disrespectful. You can't hope to be in a relationship or marriage with a character of a disrespectful person. If your mom did not train you, if your dad did not train you, if your church did not train you, they have failed you. One of the most important things that we have to impart to our children, and I do this all the time, is respect. If that's a correct susutu. In marriage, respect of your partner is the order of the day. You can't just vanish for hours and days and just pop up from nowhere and say, Honey, how are you? Like, Utwakai. So, but Nakitamaile. So, Rakaulaela, Marnakitamaile. How? Like, it's a, that's disrespect. You cannot. In marriage, we live in a respect zone. When you move into a relationship, you're moving into a respect zone. Somebody say, respect zone. And warning, ladies, and warning, gentlemen. How she treats others is how she's going to treat you one day. And I want to repeat this. How she re- treats other people, she may not be treating you that way right now, but, but, but you are watching it. You saw how he picked up a cat and he threw the cat on the floor. And the poor cat died on the spot. And he said, oh, but you, you tolerate it, right? Listen to me. It's coming to you one day. You saw how he spoke to his mother. And you wonder what was that your mother? <laughs> was that your mother the way you spoke to her? Look at this list of people that I wanted to watch. Seven important list of people that you've got to be watchful how he or she treats these people. Number one, his boss and his colleagues at work. How does he relate to colleagues? 
Always be weary of a child who can't relate with everyone else but only relate with you. Always be weary with a person who can't relate with anyone but relates to you only because you are his honey or her honey. That, prob- that problem, one day, it will be a more You are not an exception. You're only an exception because maybe Umfa certain things that others are not giving him. But listen to me, it will fail one day whatever you're giving. Look at how he treats his boss and how he speaks about his boss. Jerry, Jerry, what is going with Jerry? What Jerry? Jerry, come here, come Jerry. And Jerry, give me some hood. Kinda tema tweni. And it's smaller than other things, but but look at how he or she talks about his boss and the colleagues at work. Look at how he or she treats the pastor and the church. Be weary of a person or a partner who does not respect Abazalwana and Kereke Abon. It will be a one day. And the day you have problems, he can't even submit to the past because he submitted to no one. Parents, how does he treat his parents? How does he treat the in-laws? These are forms of authority. How does he treat the parents? How does he treat the in-laws? How he speaks? Listen to me. You've got to learn the law of cross-sectional life where if, 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 if that the Tuputela, you are married to Mrs. Tuputela, right? You cannot speak anyhow about her family. Even though she can talk anyhow. Anyhow, like, you can't. Because it becomes personal. Neither can you talk anyhow about his family. Even though he talks anyhow about his family. But that does not give you a license. I'm giving you wisdom. I'm giving you what they call emotional intelligence. Even though the husband talks anyhow about his family, but you must not. You draw a line, that's my in-laws. I can't talk anyhow about my mother-in-law. Ha! Mother-in-law! How are you? What's the son And the son is listening. Even though the son will laugh with you, but something begins to say, What did you say about my mother? My brother, what did you say about my mother now? What did you say? And the man changes overnight. Because family, they say blood is thicker than water. Even though we are in covenant, but the blood is still thick on the other side. You got to learn to respect your in-laws. Am I teaching somebody? Number five, the respect of authority, authority, government, and everyone that's an authority. Number six, the respect of opposite gender. How does he treat opposite gender? If he's a man, how does he treat other women? special? Hey, you saw how they killed that cow? They're coming for you too. As long as you are a cow, if he treats cows that way. And I'm not saying women are cows. I'm just giving an example, right? Please, please, don't, please don't get me into trouble. I didn't say that. I'm just saying how he treats women generally. You are not an exception. Watch the signs. How she treats men generally. You are not an exception. One day, the dog will come back home to buy the owner. Watch for those signs. Am I teaching somebody 
But number seven, how he treats human beings in general. Because at the end of the day, all humans are important and they deserve the respect of all of us. We got to walk in respect, treat another, especially those who are lower than her or those who are lower than him in terms of rank, in terms of influence, in terms of possession and property. How do you treat people, general, ordinary people in the street? The way you treat other people one day is how you're going to treat me. And you got to be concerned if he has no respect for fellow humans. Because one day, that's going to be your portion. And you begin to say, I'm worried about the way you talk about other people. I'm worried about the way you treat humans. Therefore, in marriage, respect is the order of the day. And we got to be people of respect. And if you can't respect, you can't survive in marriage. The Bible says marriage is honorable among all. The word honor means, that's Hebrews 13 verse 4. Marriage is honorable among all. The word honor means, I mean honorable means respectable. To be respected, whether of being honored, deserving of esteem and respect. It also means that it is not disposed to cheat or defraud or not deceptive or fraudulent like honorable lawyers. That's what I'm trying to say. Therefore, there are four aspects of respect as I close. Number one, it's honor. To, to respect, we got to honor. We got to respect like honoring our parents, like honoring our father. If I be your father, where's my honor? Malachi verse one, I mean chapter one, verse six. Honoring my parents like Ephesians chapter 6 verse 1. Honor your parents so that your days may be multiplied. The Bible says, husbands, you must honor your wives. Just like I honor my mother, I must honor my wife. I must respect my wife. And by the way, I respect my wife. I don't preach what I don't leave. I respect my wife. I don't just climb up on a tree and just call her name anyhow. She's the queen of the house. When my wife is sleeping, I sneak out of the bed always because I, I live a very sleepless life sometimes. Like this morning, I sneak out at 3 o'clock. I sneak out like a, a little cat because I respect her sleep. I don't want to disturb her sleep. I get so hey, tzuka, massage, tzuka, tzuka. I get out of my bed and I walk silently like a thief and I leave the queen sleeping. And I woke up and this morning I felt cold because I didn't wear anything warm. And I had to go back to the room and I, I thought of going back and said, no, I'm not going back because if I open the door, I might disturb her. So I decided to stay in the cold because I respect her. When my wife comes back from an all night prayer and she's tired, I become a security guard at the door. Kids cannot come. I said, whoa, mama's sleeping. She's tired. I guard, I protect, I respect, and that's the way we should live. Respect our partners. Wives, submit to your husbands. It is the biggest need of a man. He'd rather go and sleep in a shack with a woman that calls him Tate than living with a woman in a mansion that calls him Kalevito and Anna respected him Kalevito Lil. Banna Babata respect. Munawaka. Tatewabanabaka. You know, you respect your husband. He will give you everything you want. And respect also stands for honesty. Dishonor is the same as disrespect. Dishonesty and dishonor, they are the same root. Dishonor and dishonesty. Cheating has to do with not respecting. 
Because when you cheat, you think she's not clever to pick up what I do. When you cheat, you think he's too slippy to see what I do. That's disrespect. It's a form of disrespect. Number three means I'm harmless. I will do you no harm. I'll be kind to you. I will bring you no sorrow. I will love you and I'll be gentle to you. Number four, it means to care, to be sensitive to, to be empathetic, to be empathetic, to pay attention to detail. Pay attention to detail. Pay attention to your spouse. Put your phone aside when she's speaking. That's respect. Switch off the television when she's speaking. That's respect. If you don't pay attention, you'll pay with your money. It's either you choose to pay attention or you will pay with your money. And by that time, it's too late. I trust that God has spoken to you. I have no time left. I'm actually way over time. I hope you learned something today. Somebody give the Lord a shout in your home wherever you go. May the Lord bless your marriages. May the Lord strengthen your marriages. May the Lord give you grace to walk through this life and be victorious in marriages. May your marriage be blessed with laughter and joy and peace. I speak peace in the midst of the storm of your marriage and your life. In the mighty name of Jesus, somebody give God a shout this morning. Amen. Thank you so much for listening and joining us this morning in Jesus mighty name. Amen. I trust that God has spoken to you Let it be well with you and your family. Let it be well with your marriage. Let it be well with your relationship. Go back and rectify the things that you see that you're not doing right. And bring order in that relationship. Bring order in that marriage. Grow in grace. And God will bless you and bless your marriage. In Jesus' mighty name. Thanks to all our live viewers and live partners that have joined us this morning.